Well, the year, 1997, um, when we uh, went from writing hate mail to uh, actually dating. And um, my wife and I started dating in 97, and uh, she was at Malone, uh, and I was at Moody, so you can do the distance in your head from Chicago to Canton. And uh, we... uh, we say we had the privilege <laughs> of, of dating long distance. Um, if you ever had to do that before, you know um, the joys, the struggles, but even the good things uh, that can come from dating long distance. Um, we did that from 97, 98, 99 till we got married. Um, basically, I finished the last semester home, but almost all of my college, like the back half of my college time, uh, I'd say career, but it's Moody Bible, so it's not really a college career. It's more of just college time. Um, and so as the last back half was just all dating long distance. And um, one of the weird things in dating long distance was um, conversations that you had on the floor with the other guys on the floor um, who would always be out on Friday or Saturday nights with their girlfriends or significant others, whatever. And uh, there you sat uh, in your college dorm room and uh, wanting to not be the third wheel. So you just hang back. You know what I mean? It's cool. It's cool, guys. Go ahead. I'm fine. Right? And uh, I remember there was a lot of those conversations where, you know, guys would always be uh, leaving. They're like, you sure you have a girlfriend? I know. I I do. I do. I promise. She's just back home. And uh, I got a picture on my phone. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, you do. Because we had pictures on our phone back then. We didn't. Um, And so uh, we you know, and it, it was, it, there's just really no way of proving it because we didn't have technology. We didn't have a lot of Facebook stuff, obviously, you have today. And so there's just kind of like, it was a weird conversation to have uh, because, you know, you didn't want to be that guy from high school that said that all the time. Oh, yeah, she lives in Arizona and uh, we met at camp and we're good, you know. Um, there was something about being physically at somewhere, um, but knowing that you're in a relationship positionally where they're just not there. Because it got even worse when it was dating and then you're engaged and they're like, oh, you're engaged, are you? Because guys don't have anything to prove it, right? I mean, we don't get the ring, we don't have anything. And so they're like, oh, sure, you're engaged, right? And I'm like, no, I promise she's got a ring and she, just, she lives in Ohio. Yeah, they all live in Ohio. Um, and so it was just a weird spot to be in for the two years that we were there finishing out 99, three years almost, and um, to be positionally knowing that I'm officially engaged. The ring, the money was spent. Trust me, I knew that. My bank account showed I had spent money on a ring, and I knew that we were engaged, yet physically, day to day, we just, you never saw her and things like that. And honestly, it was one of the best things for our relationship because we didn't end up being that weird couple on campus. You knew the couple, you know what I mean? That was like always together. They did everything together. They, and this is, if this is you, I apologize. <laughs> but they just, they just never separated. They studied together. They ate lunch together. They called each other in the morning. You going to be down at breakfast? Totally, I'll see you there. Uh, uh, vomit in my mouth, right? And we had those on campus. And every single, I miss you. I'm going to class. It's an hour. You'll be fine. I'll text you while I'm in class. We, didn't, we couldn't do that either. But anyway, um, it was just, it was, it was really good for us because we were able to have these relationships and learn uh, separate from each other. And ultimately, um, it was really, really helpful for us to be positionally in one place, but physically somewhere else. 
And this morning, we're going to see how this plays into our relationship with Christ as well, that we are physically here on earth, but positionally, there is a truth about us. There is a statement in the Bible that talks about who we are, even though it may not seem like it or feel like it on an average day-to-day basis. Because this all started with the ascension of Jesus Christ. Because the life of Jesus is, is not currently that he's just kind of hit retirement, right? He did the resurrection thing, he ascended into heaven, and now he's just kicking back in retirement, and, and he's done his, his work, and now he's just kind of up there waiting for us to arrive. It's not like this guy who hit retirement at 30 and looks like this. Uh, so, I mean, retirement's been good to Gronk, hasn't it? I mean, at, at 30, when you retire from the NFL, I mean, what do you have rest of, I mean, you're set for the rest of your life at 30. That's a rough problem, right? That's so hard. And it, parents, but it's so hard that you end up wearing sombreros. Anyway, um, it, God is not that, <laughs> thankfully. God is not up, up in heaven just waiting for us to get there in retirement. He is, he is there ruling and reigning, and we're going to see exactly what that means today as we look into this last and final uh, week of the top tennis series in the life of Jesus. And here's my hope this morning. If you get nothing else, here's my hope. My hope is that we would... Um, have what Paul the Apostle, when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, my hope and my prayer is that we have what he desires for us to have when he writes in Ephesians chapter 1. So this morning we're going to be in Ephesians 1, and we're also going to be looking at Acts 1. Okay, So Ephesians 1, Acts 1, most of our time though this morning will be spent in Ephesians 1, and we're going to be looking primarily at how Paul viewed the ascension and what was the purpose of the ascension. So we begin in Ephesians chapter 1, and we look at verses 16 and 17, and this 16 and 17 is part of a larger prayer that Paul is praying over this church. And it was a prayer that as I was preparing for this this morning, it was a prayer in my head that I've been praying for you all this week. And I've been praying that this Sunday would be one that we could we could settle into this this truth. He says in 16 and 17, I do not cease to give thanks for you. And that is so true. I think of this week and I think of all that's happened. I think of the four years that this church has been in existence and what God has done and how he's steadied us and stabilized us through a lot of things. I mean, there's been a lot of in and outs and a lot of ups and downs and um, it's just been good to see that. And so it says, I do not cease to give thanks for, for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and here's the prayer, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. And then he continues in 18 and 19, and here's the prayer. So I, I added on this part because he's praying, but I pray, is the beginning of this, it's not listed here, but it's part of the overall prayer from the beginning of Ephesians. So his prayer is, my prayer is for us, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That's the goal of the sermon. That this morning, that God would, in his gracious way, remind us of the hope that we have, the hope he's called you to, and that you would be able to understand what he has given to us. Because here's the thing, the ascension was not just an add-on miracle to the resurrection, 
Okay, it wasn't kind of like he did the resurrection thing, he rose from the dead, and then the ascension was kind of just an add on like, wow, watch him rise from the earth kind of thing, right? That's not why he did it. The ascension was not so much about Acts chapter 1 in the description of what happened. No, it's truly more about what is happening now because he ascended. We're going to see that in a second. But he says, I pray that having the eyes of your heart enlightened, something only God can do. Only he can take the eyes of your heart, and you know, it's not that you have eyes there. It's, it's that you understand. There's that, there's that revelation that he gives you that says, man, even when things are crazy and things in your life don't make sense, there is still a hope. He says, I pray that your heart, your, your soul would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And then he says this. This is, this is awesome. He says, what are the riches? So he says, I pray that you understand the hope. That's number one. I hope that you understand what he's called you to. But then he says, I also hope that you understand that your eyes are enlightened to what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? We just sang uh, resurrection power. We just sang that that there's, there's a freedom that we have because he is alive in us. This resurrection power was part of what he's talking about, but he's also going to be talking about the ascension as well. Because in the ascension, he is giving us riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And he's giving us the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to working of his great might. Here's a couple things. Pronouns are important here. He says, what are the riches of his, number one, God's glorious inheritance? That's number one. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power? And again, it's all on him. Toward us who believe, according to the working of his, again, pronoun, his great might. In the middle of this scenario, part of how he builds this hope, part of how he builds our hearts to be enlightened, is he says, I want you to understand the immeasurable greatness of his power. This word immeasurable is one that only Paul uses. And he only uses it four, well, five including this, four times other, where, other places. This is the fifth time he uses this word. And he uses the word immeasurable. In some of your Bibles, it may read as exceeding, right? Exceeding, and it's only used by Paul. Paul is trying to get you and I to, to see that this immeasurable word is, is all-encompassing. It's like he's trying to describe something that is vastly powerful, that is extremely uncontained, that you can't measure it fully, and he's trying to put it all into one word, right? Have you ever had somebody give you something that was just like hugely important and very, very valuable, and the best word you could come up with is thank you, but in your heart you knew that like the word thank you wasn't enough for the gift, but all you could come up with is thank you, and then you're like, I probably should send them a card. I know a card doesn't really, you know, do justice to what they just gave me, but I, I got to send them something. I almost see Paul kind of stressing and figuring out, like, I've got so much to communicate to this church about what the power of God looks like, but all I'm going to come up with is the word immeasurable or exceedingly. It's just, I can't fully tell you all the things that he has given and the kind of power that God has. And yes, you can use creation and stars and planets and worlds and all that kind of stuff, but it goes even beyond that 
Because it's not just the power that created earth and worlds and planets. It's the power that is living in us that gives us the decision to say, man, I've got a sin coming up this week and it's right there in my face and it's asking me to follow it into the pattern that I normally follow into. And God says, this power not only creates the heavens, this power is enough to say no to that temptation that you feel drawn to every single day and every single week of your life. It's the power that gets you through grief. It's the power that gets you through your job on a regular basis, right? It's, it's immeasurable and it's vast and it's big. And he says all of this immeasurable greatness of his power, if you would kind of draw it out, you try to have to kind of figure out how to trap it somewhere and you really can't, but for the sake of the analogy, let's say you tried to trap it somewhere in this huge bubble and you're like, okay, I've got all of this power, all of this innumerable huge power, and now I'm going to direct it. I'm going to, I'm going to put it towards something. He says, all this power is toward who? Us who believe. That's crazy. That means that the God of the universe who creates all, is, is all, gives power to all, is the Holy Spirit living in us who have this relationship with Jesus Christ. He says all of this power is not directed at an action. It's not directed so that you can do your devos every week. This, this power is just automatically directed towards us who believe. That's the first gracious, huge thing. I mean, wrap your mind around that for a year. That the God who has all this measure of power says, you know what? I could direct it anywhere and I'm going to direct it at you. I'm going to put it in you. Specifically you by name. That's crazy. But that's part of the ascension. One of the the commentators, um, F.F. Bruce says it like this. If If the death of Christ is the chief demonstration of the love of God, the chief demonstration of his power is the resurrection of Christ. But the raising of Christ from the dead was not, was but the first stage in his exaltation. So the resurrection was the power that he's directing, but it was just the first step. The second step is the ascension that he says, I promise to leave the Holy Spirit for you and that will get worked out in you. Much of my sermon this morning is going to be taken from Paul's words, as we just said, but Here's again what he says about this immeasurable power and and how we get to the idea of resurrection and ascension. This is where it comes from in 20 to 23. That he worked this power toward us. He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and, this is huge, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. If you have your guides or if you're comfortable circling your Bible, it's really important to, to write down those as two different things, right? He, he raised him from the dead and, and at the same time or simultaneously or chronologically, did it happen this way and then this one or did they happen together? Theologians debate that. What he's trying to get you to understand is they both happened and they were both significant events. One, the power was displayed in the resurrection. The second thing, the power was displayed in his ascension by seating him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. And this is how it happened in Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together to the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive, here it is again, you will receive power. 
immeasurable, exceeding power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. This is where it gets a little weird, because many of us maybe have seen the Jesus films and things like that, and they could never get it right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just always weird. Like, you can see sometimes the strings pulling up, and it's just kind of like, hey, there he goes, right? I don't think it was meant to get focused on the, there he goes. It was meant to say, he is positionally moving somewhere else, or physically moving somewhere else else to do something as a next step. As they're looking on, he's lifted up and a cloud took him out of the sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them with white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? (laughs) I love Bible questions. Don't you love God's questions? I think when we get to heaven, there's just going to be an obvious thing that we see and God's going to be like, "Why, why, why are you doing that? What's the normal response to look at that? I thought I could just normally look at that. You know, it's just funny. He does the same thing. Men of Galilee, why are you looking into heaven? Well, because he just kind of went, whoop, that doesn't happen down here. I don't know if you know that or not, but not typically that doesn't happen on a Monday, you know. Mm. Um, but anyway, um, looking into heaven, they said, well, we're, we're looking. And then this Jesus, he says, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And this ascension was, that's the physical, that's exactly what happened literally, but there was, a, there was something happening behind the scenes that the disciples didn't see, and that's what Paul's going to continue to remind us about here this morning in Ephesians. And there's the, the, why this was important. So, he seated him at the right hand of God. It's a visual of a throne room in Revelation even, there's a throne and, and God is sitting at the center and to his right, he has Jesus Christ himself seated positionally as a king would. This is kind of weird for us because um, we don't understand kingship. We probably don't understand the, the royalty of it, even the power and the significance of it that they would have back then. But it was a proper, powerful scene to be seated next to a king and to be seated as the one in honor and of privilege. And so he seats his son to the proper place that he should always be seated. It's not a mystery that Jesus is there. We knew that watching him walk through this earth. We've seen him do that over the last 10 weeks. We know why he's there, seated next to God. But as he is seated next to God, he continues that this power of Christ being seated does not mean that he's not working, right? Verse 21, as he is seated in the realms, this is happening right here, right now at nine, I can't read my watch, at, see how bad I am, I have to go to that, at 1047. <laughs> um, this, is, this is what he's doing right here, right now, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That's kind of all powers, all governments, all wars, all crazy things that are happening around the globe right now. All these things that are happening, he is above it. He has authority over it. And above every name that is named. He is above our president. He is above every world ruler. He is above every world, world ruler that was and every ruler that will be. He is above all of them. And in every name, there is no name that can match who this Jesus Christ is. And he says, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now that's crazy, We don't have time to dive into all of it, but that's just crazy to think of a ruler whose name strikes just as much power and fear in 2019 as it would in AD 2, right? 
You can hear of a name in AD 2, but it doesn't strike power or fear or kind of like, oh, okay, that was just history. What's affecting me here and now, that's important. He says, no, this is every age, every name that is named. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So here's, here's the beauty in this. And I know this is a lot of exegetical, but I think this is important. He put all things under his feet, all worlds, all rulers, all planets, all systems, all governments, all of them under his control. And then he says, and to cap it all off, <laughs> he gave him head of the church. To which in our day and age, we'd kind of think, well, that's the opposite. Church is, okay, of course you would have put him over the church, but, but the world, that's, that's different. I saw this in, in play um, last week. Uh, I was watching some old stuff after listening to the new Kanye West album, and, uh, which I have to say, uh, big fan. Uh, and uh, I, I was listening to the album, and, and there was an interview that he did on Jimmy Kimmel, and um, I found it very, very fascinating. Whatever you think of Kanye, you can think of Kanye, and that's not the point, okay? Uh, it's not like, yay, now he's on our team. Okay, uh, celebrity, we don't need another celebrity status to make Jesus effective. Is that cool? Can we just say that? We don't need another celebrity to be like, we exist, we're finally arrived. That's horrible. Don't think that. That's not why I'm saying this. I'm saying this because of how Kimmel reacted. And here's the conversation. The conversation like this. He basically talked about how he's going to church now. He's going to church this whole thing. Right, okay, that's fine. And as he says this, I watched the reaction from Kimmel. And he says, yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Church is, church is really important, isn't it? And I'm like, when did, Holly, when did that happen? Like, when was that okay? And, and it was just kind of this reaction of like, he gave him head over all things. And for so long, we've seen the marketing and everything is like, church is so foreign. Church is so yesterday. It's just so immature. And if you're not smart enough, I guess you can go to church. And, and I guess you can believe the things at church. And, but now that, so it's, it is what it is. You know, it's, it's, it's the world we live in. But now that Kanye is here, uh, we now believe church is awesome, right? Um, and it's all politics. It's all words. I get that. I'm, that's how I'm saying it. I'm just saying it's just amazing to think that the reversal is being seen. And praise God the reversal is being seen, right? Praise God that, that, God, that the gospel is being presented. No matter what you think of him, no matter what you think of the album, no matter what you think of it, I don't care. What I care about is, oh my word, he just laid out the gospel four times in one interview. And that never happens. So, God using the weak things of this world, perfect display. God using the weak things of this world, perfect display. And for God to say he put him over all things of the world, yes, of course. But ultimately, the world doesn't matter what, ma- well, it matters in the fact of salvation, but it doesn't matter as far as, he says he puts him over the head, over all things to the church. And he is the lead pastor. He is the lead elder of the church. Because the church, those who believe in Jesus Christ, not the the, the building, but the people, you all, the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here's the beauty. That power directed towards you is for a reason. Because in order for him to fill all and be in all, he could do it on his own. But what he does is he puts the spirit in us and he allows us to fill all and be all in the world. That means on a weekly basis, 
You all go to work. You all go to recreation. You all go to wherever it is for practice or, or band or whatever. You're all scattered throughout everywhere. You have the power of Christ in you fill and have the potential to fill all and be in all. Because you're the church. That's awesome. It's an awesome privilege. And that's what he says he does. Now that's, that's the good news. As he says that that's what he desires and that's what he's doing. Up in heaven, he is ruling. He is over all things. He is of the age to come. He is of the age that is here. He put all things under the feet of Jesus. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is ruling. He is seated at the right hand of Jesus Christ. That's the first huge major thing. He's not in retirement. He's moving. He's active. That whole thing. But then comes the bad news in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 because he continues on. And you... This is all of us, humanity. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He says, you were once dead and you once walked. So you were the, come on. Walking Dead, there you go, thank you. Um, and as you were doing that, walking zombies, the whole thing, you were removed from Jesus Christ, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. But he says, now something has changed, among whom he also lived in the passions of the flesh. He says, in that walking dead, you are carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Sin was part of our world and it kept us in bondage and we were dead. And as we may know or be reminded of, sin is any failure in reflecting the glory of God in your nature, in your thought, in your attitude. It's not just like my actions. We get caught up in all our sinful actions, but he says, no, no, no. Sin is actually any, ability, any failure to reflect the glory of God by your nature, humanity, your thought, your attitude, or action. And the desires of your body and your mind. And he says, all of these desires were part of our death. Whether it could be, you know, I don't know what your, your thing is that, that gets you every single week, but we've all got them. We've all got things that just continually just haunt us and drag us back into sin and we're all part of it. But I think in many respects, it starts to change a little bit. Like I would say for now as a, as a culture, right, the, the thing of, of sin and, and desires of body and mind is that our desires and body and mind has, has morphed from sexuality to gender to all these things that, that we've just kind of said, I desire this, so I will do or be this, right? Or it could be uh, ambition, right? That I really want to be successful and I want to be driven and I want to accomplish something. But sin could be that you desire it above and beyond God, that your desire to do that thing, if it goes beyond your desire to serve Jesus, it becomes sinful. Appearance of success, addicted to certainty, whatever it is, right? They're not the normal culprits, but in my world, I can fall prey to ambition, to addicted to certainty, to appearance of success. I can, I can fall prey to those because they can trump the certainty of Jesus Christ. And he says, we were all there. We were all part of that. But then we get into the best verses in the entire Bible, Ephesians chapter 2 four through seven, and this is where we want to focus our attention next. But God, <laughs> we're busy. We've got a lot of things going on this week. I get it. 
We're, we're, a lot of you guys are overwhelmed, and I've talked to you, and I'm with you. So when we hit a passage like this, can we just stop for just a second? Let the pastor stop talking to you. And just sit in two words. But God. You were, you have been, you used to be, but God, this is awesome, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him. We're going to stop for a second. Two words stand out, obviously. But God, being rich in mercy, and then says, by grace. Mercy and grace are different things, but they're linked very, very closely. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you deserve don't deserve. Let me say that again because it's a, it's a weird little nuance there. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. We deserve death. Christ went on our behalf, raised, seated. We don't get what we deserve. That's, that's mercy. But grace is like the add-on. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So let me just give you a case in point. Let's say um, somebody commits a crime. Let's say it's burglary. They bust into the house and they bust into a house and they steal all the property in the house. They destroy it. They vandalize it. They do millions of dollars of damage in a house. Let's say that house turns out to be a judge's house. And as they vandalize the house, they realize, oh, we've made a mistake. This is a bad call. Uh, It's actually the judge's house. And so we're in trouble. And that's actually what happens. And they get busted. Uh, because of the security system in the house and it's all filmed and, and they stand before the judge who they just burglarized, right? And they're standing in the courtroom. Mercy, if the judge were to do this, which I've had conversations this week, apparently this is not how judges operate today, but let's just say they do, um, as a good God would. He looks at this person and mercy would be they don't get any penalty. They're free to walk out of the courtroom. Don't have to pay anything back. Don't have to pay for any damages. Don't, doesn't even go on the record. It's as if it never happened. It erases it. He's able to let the, the guy just walk out clean and clear. That's mercy. They didn't get what they deserved. Now, grace says, not only are you, can you go free, but I'm going to rebuild my house. I'm going to put all the good stuff in it again. I'm going to buy a brand new car that you demolished. I'm going to park it in the garage. And on your way out of the courtroom today, I'm going to give you the keys to the house and the keys to the car. And I'm going to pay off the mortgage. I'm going to pay off all the payments on the car. They're yours. That's grace. Mercy is, I didn't, I I, I escaped and I didn't have to pay the penalty. Grace is, you get what you don't deserve that's over and above. This is why it's so hard to write thank you cards to God, isn't it? God, thank you for giving me what I don't deserve. And if that's not enough, this is so cool, 
You were dead in your trespasses, made alive together with sin. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him. And here's the best part. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show, here's the key word again, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Not only is he ruling, he has seated us in Jesus Christ as he ascended into heaven. He knew, I'm setting in plan a place that when somebody accepts Jesus Christ, when somebody becomes a follower, disciple of Christ, goes into a relationship, believes the gospel, is now entrusted, is in Jesus, at the moment you trust in Jesus, he says, I am seating you here with me in the heavenly realms. And this is so hard because positionally, this is true. We can look at the Bible, and if you trust the Bible that is 100% true, inerrant, which I do, we do, he says, positionally, truthfully, you are seated next to Jesus Christ, right here, right now. And that's so difficult for us, because I look to my right, and I'm like, I don't see him. If I'm seated and the throne's here, I don't, he's not there. What do I do with that? Carrie's not here. I'm engaged, but, but there's no proof of it. And so I got to live this, this world of the, as, if it's, as if it's happening and if it's real. And, but I can tell you on a small microcosm of being engaged and knowing I'm engaged, it affected everything I did, Right? It was the confidence and the hope of one day we're going to get married. It was, it was the beautiful thing of saying, I'm with somebody, even if they can't see him and even if they think she's fake. You know, I, I, I know that I'm, I, I've got her and I know that she has got me and, and I know that we're going to live life together and spend years and years and years and 20 years later still can say, man, I love her and I'm so excited and thankful that God has put her in my life and, and I know that even if she's not in this room, which she's not, she's, she's helping somewhere else, I know that that we are together and we are always going to be one. And even if I can't physically see her, that's what's happening here. Even though you can't physically see him, Christ wants us to remember on a daily basis, you are seated with him in Christ. And all of that power and all the immeasurable greatness that God gives to Jesus Christ, because you're seated with him, he gives it to you. What do you do with that? But I didn't go to the cross. I didn't do those things. And I didn't have to suffer like he did. And I, I, I don't deserve to be here. You ever been in a room like that where you just feel like, oh my word, these people are so much better and smarter than me. I don't even belong in this space. And sure enough, the host comes in the middle of that room and says, man, you're here. I am so excited you made it. I got to show you this. Come here, come here. You got to meet, you got to meet, you got to meet. But I don't, I don't fit. I don't, I don't have the degrees. I don't have the... I don't care. Come on, come on, come on. I seated you with Christ. The ascension of Jesus Christ was to seat him there. But the ascension of Jesus Christ is the proof and the hope that we have that on a day that gets crazy and on a week that just seems out of control and you just want to walk away. My kids have done it to me again, right? I mean, they, they've won. They've won it again and I just can't handle it. 
I can be seated with Christ. My boss has done it again. He's acceded to a new level of incompetency. It's amazing to watch. Every week, I'm like, he can't get dumber, and there he goes. He does it again, right? I, I, can, I can trust that God is there. I can, I can trust that even in the incompetencies of, I was driving down 93, and so help me. I love, you. I love everybody in this community. I do. I love this place, but can we, can we know that 93 is 55 miles an hour and not 45? Can we just learn that, please? Like, Oh, it drives me insane. And I just, anyway, that's just a personal. That's just me venting. You're welcome. So go 55. That's why it's there, okay? Okay, all right. So not through the school zone, but you get it. Um, he says, as this is, I don't even know where I am right now. That was just a whole other, wow, that feels good. It's good to get that out there, okay? He, he, has, he has given us the ability to live life in the messiness of this life, knowing that positionally we are seated in the heavenly realms with him. Positionally we are seated, physically we are here. Let me give it to you in another way. Colossians chapter 1, 1 through 3 says it like this. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died. Quit trying to resurrect yourself. Quit trying to go back to the old way of doing stuff. Just live in the seat that he's put you in. Set your minds on things above for you have died and your life is hidden. Cool word. In Christ. That means every time God looks right, he sees Jesus, he sees you hidden in him. That's, that's ridiculous. How is that possible? Because Christ died on our behalf and he is there. And you have to live in this tension. And we need, honestly, steady reminders of this truth. And so here's what I want to do. I want to close like this this morning. I don't want to close with more application this morning. I want to close with a reality, and that is this. You are positionally right here, right now in 2019, seated at the right hand of God. All the greatness, all the power, all the grace, all the mercy that was poured out on Jesus is being poured out on you. Yeah, but you don't know my week. You don't know the, what I've done and you don't know the fears and you don't know how hard it is and you don't know that I, I really don't trust him this week and I really don't like him this week and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Positionally, Christ has told us you are seated with him in the heavenly realms and this should be our confidence this morning. So here's what I want to close with. We're going to sing a song as we close out, but before we do, we don't get to do this often. Um, We just mentioned that the Holy Spirit is the power living in us that he gave us at the ascension. But I think most of us, if you're like me, we can go a whole week, month, year, and our lives, if somebody were to ask us, are your lives any different because of the Holy Spirit or not? Like, in other words, like, when was the last day that you said, if the Holy Spirit didn't come through, I wouldn't have been able to fill in the blank? Most of us would say, I, I, I got it pretty much on autopilot right now. I got it pretty in control. And the things I don't control, I'll just control later, right? I'm in there with me, this building process, right? If it doesn't get done, I'll just come in and do it tomorrow. It's fine. But when was the last time that you just kind of said, if he doesn't come through, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
And that's a reminder to us that we're doing too much on our own. Here's my fear for Community Bible Church. Do we start to do too much on our own? Do we start to kind of just say, I got to just figure this Christianity out, out on my own because Jesus, does, he's just not working on my timetable right now. I got things to do. I got places to be. He's just not keeping up with me. I'm just going to do, do this relationship on my own. My fear is we outpace him. My fear is that we don't stop enough to reflect and say, thank you for seating me where I am and needing the reminder of being seated with Christ in the heavens. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to close with this. I want to pray. I want to kind of take us through this. And then we're going to sing together so they, the team can come up. But I just want to um, pray and, and give you a moment just to reflect on all that you've just heard. And I don't know what God's put on your heart through this sermon. I don't know what he's put on your mind through this scripture and which pieces stood out to you and which ones didn't. But he does. So I want to give us an opportunity to just say, okay, God, I'm just going to silence everything around me. What do you want me to know? What do you want me to hear in being seated next to you? So let me pray. God, forgive me for trying to outpace you, trying to outrun you, trying to outdo you, trying to do my thing and hoping you catch on. Um, God, this, this passage was incredible meaning to me. Um, And I pray it is for us that in the midst of what we see on a day-to-day basis, may we pause long enough and just say, wow, physically it feels like this, but positionally I am in, hidden, in, seated, next to, given power and authority from you. where you're at, what, what is that one phrase he's bringing to mind? What is that one truth he's wanting you to hear? I'm going to give you a minute. second question as you're praying and communicating what what does it mean that you're seated next to him in him lastly not what do you do with it but who is it making you? God, my fear is that the day-to-day physical we see can make us so much unlike you. But my hope through this series, through your word, would be that as we reflect on our position in you, humble us, make us more reliant on you, and turn us more into the likeness of you. 
God, as we sing, may we know you are living in us. May we see ourselves positionally seated in the heavenly realms with you and a God who loves us that much. It's in your name we pray.
Here's your homework. Uh, this week, my challenge to you is this. Take 10 minutes. I don't care if it's every day, if it's three times, whatever. Your homework is this. 10 minutes in the middle of your day, beginning of your day, end of your day. doesn't matter. I find beginning of the day works better for me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just go to Colossians 1, 1 to 3, Ephesians 2, whatever. And I want you to remind yourself before you start your day, as you end the day, in the middle of the day, when things are going crazy, 10 minutes. Here's all I want you to do. One, I want you to remember who you are. Two, I want you to sit in it. No actions, no prayer requests from God, no help me's, no fix me's. I'm just going to challenge you this week. Is this a homework assignment? You don't have to do it. There's bonus points if you do. I'm just kidding. Um, but, but I'm just saying, it's a great reminder this week in the midst of whatever's going on. I challenge you, 10 minutes, sit in silence and say, God, remind me who I am. I'm telling you, it's a beautiful thing to know who you are in him. Go in that this morning, know that you are in Christ, seated with him as you walk this place that is called earth. And he's got so much in store for you. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Have a great week. Thanks.